Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And in tonight's show, our four big stories, starting off with two companies in the news, um, Ascendus and Baldwin Properties. We'll be hearing all about them from Pitfilion. Then we'll be finding out whether Tencent is a problem child for the future. There's been a lot of development from the Chinese regulators. Our Jackie Cameron, our editor at large, had an interview today with Professor Karachi from the University of Nottingham. And here's a bet worth looking at. Leon Lowe and Vuyani Jarana, you might recall he was the former chief executive of South African Airways. Well, they took a 100,000 rand bet. Leon saying SAA would not make a profit. Vuyani saying it would. It's three years on SAA. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of shown that uh, not making a profit would have been a good result when you're talking about the billions that it's cost taxpayers. Uh, Leon's going to explain to us, though, that it's got a happy ending to that story. And we'll also be talking to Grant Back, who is head of the SAA Pilots Association, with a most unusual story there. The pilots are demanding to be retrenched. In between, uh, Lesseri Mfolo of Easy Equities will tell us who the top and bottom performers were of the first quarter. Remember, we're through three months of the year already, this being the 31st of March. So lots coming up in the next hour. I look forward to being in your company as we start off with our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron, with the Flash Briefing. Political parties have slammed President Cyril Ramaphosa for blaming vaccine apartheid for COVID-19 deaths. Leader of the opposition Democratic Alliance, John Steenhuisen, says President Ramaphosa's administration has failed spectacularly in delivering vaccine rollout. Steenhuisen's strong condemnation of government failures on vaccine rollout come after President Ramaphosa has been crowing about deals for vaccines being signed and the start of manufacturing J&J vaccines by Aspen Pharmacare in the Eastern Cape. Steenhuisen points out that benchmark countries such as Chile and Rwanda have achieved rates of 300,000 and 70,000 doses administered per day, respectively. Israel has already covered 55% of its population, and the US, UK and Chile 25%. Steenhuisen says the ANC government is trying to spin it otherwise, but there is no national rollout. The only rollout so far has been the expansion of the Johnson and Johnson trials run by trial scientists around existing trial sites using other countries' leftover J&J trial vaccines. The J&J vaccine has not even been approved yet by the Health Products Regulatory Authority for general rollout in South Africa, he notes. Steenhuisen's attack comes amid warnings that socialising over the Easter weekend could spark a third spike in COVID-19 cases in South Africa. Coca-Cola is weighing options for its bottling business in Africa, including a sale or initial public offering. That's according to Bloomberg. A year of global COVID-19 lockdowns at restaurants, amusement parks and stadia have disrupted Coca-Cola's global businesses. Organic sales fell 3% in the quarter ended December the 31st amid ongoing challenges from the pandemic. But, says Bloomberg, the drop was less severe than analysts forecast and Coca-Cola has predicted high single-digit revenue growth for 2021 as more of the world's population gets vaccinated. South Africa's rising long-term bond yields and the related cost of government borrowing remain a concern. That's according to ratings firm S&P Global, which says in its second quarter economic outlook for emerging markets that the yield on South Africa's benchmark 2030 government bond hit a record high above 13% in March 2020. And although yields came down as the central bank slashed lending rates and launched a bond buying program, they have started rising again to near the 10% mark. S&P says the increasing divergence between the U.S. rebound and the rest of the world could force central banks to implement defensive interest rate hikes to compensate for the growing yield differential, especially in those countries with large fiscal deficits like South Africa. The Automobile Association says it expects a further hefty hike in fuel prices in April, with 95 ULP heading into record territory when the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy 
makes the official adjustment next week. The AA was commenting on unaudited month-end fuel price data released by the Central Energy Fund. It says that the fuel price for April will be in the region of 17 rand 32 cents a litre inland, comfortably surpassing the previous high of 17 rand and 8 cents set in late 2018. South Africa has opened up a telecommunications contract to supply 1.2 million government employees, allowing arch-rivals MTN and Vodacom to share in the state business. Bloomberg says the contract was previously exclusively held by Vodacom and was worth 5 billion rand when first agreed upon. The move helps to level the playing field in South Africa by sharing around one of the largest contracts available in Africa's most industrialized economy. Bloomberg says Vodacom is the country's market leader with about 44 million customers, compared with MTN's 29 million. South Africa's trade surplus widened to just under 29 billion rand in February from a revised surplus of about 12.5 billion rand in January. That's according to data from the Revenue Service. And that brings to a close your BizNews Flash Briefing. For more on those stories, do go to biznews.com. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. You're listening to the BizNews Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. There's always interesting stuff going on in the markets. Here's Justin Rowe Roberts. The JSC All Share Index closed lower at 66,500, although it was a great quarter with the index up nearly 10%. More reds than greens today, with APSA falling 6 rand to 125 rand a share. Food retailer Pick and Pay down 2.5 rand to 54 rand a share. Rayonet down 14 rand to 292 rand a share. And Steinoff bucking the trend up 3.5% to 2 rand 34 cents. In the currency markets, the rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 76 cents to the dollar, 20 rand 35 cents to the pound, and 17 rand 36 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,700 an ounce, Brent crude is low at $64 a barrel, and Bitcoin is trading at 865,000 rand per coin. Pit Fulion is our guest co-host tonight. Pit, lovely having you on the program. You were quite a hit at the Biz News Investment Conference, and uh, we can't wait to get your video up in the same way that Nick Hudson's has uh, gone viral. I'm sure yours will too, given those lovely tips you gave. But we, we've had a bit of complaint. Uh, some of the guys who were there said, but, you know, those shares have now all gone up 10 or 15% since Pit spoke about them. Yeah, it's always you know it's always dangerous making um, uh, or tipping shares in public because uh, you never know what happens. They could go up or could go down. Fortunately, in this case, uh, they happen to go up. Um, but that's why at, you know what one tries to do is you try and put a portfolio of these shares together. You don't just buy one or two of them. And I think that's always worth pointing out. Uh, it's always fun talking about one share or two shares, uh, but the world is an uncertain place and anything can happen, even to the best companies. Um, so it's always dangerous just putting all your money into one or two shares, and one should look at it in, in portfolio context. A share that we'd like to talk about, or a company that's listed on the JSE, Ascendus Health. It's been a mm. interesting story. Started by a couple of private equity guys. Uh, I'm sure you you know them uh, from yeah. Cape Town. What what went wrong there? Well, maybe just tell us the story, and, and why is it in so much trouble now? It's, as you say, it's a, it's a very interesting story. And it's interesting not because what happened is so surprising, but because it happened so often. Uh, and that's the interesting thing. You see this play out again and again and again. What happens, a couple of smart guys get together. They do one or two acquisitive transactions. Um, they start using debt to do more acquisitive transactions. It sort of becomes earnings accretive. Uh, they do an IPO into the market, into, some, into generally a hot market, a bull market. Uh, and because they're doing these earnings accretive acquisitions, the earnings go up and the market gets excited and they do more. And they just can't stop. And they get carried away with themselves and they start paying too much using debt. And they get in a situation where whatever they own cannot service the debt they've taken on. Um, you know, when, you know, as you go through a tough economic cycle because that's what happens is you go through good cycles and bad cycles. Things don't always just go well. And as soon as you hit a road bump because of some extraneous economic event, you can't serve as a debt. And then what used to be a virtuous circle turns into a vicious circle. Uh, and that's 
what's happened to senders in a nutshell. Like many other companies, by the way. So it's it's not a, a one-off situation. You could almost no, see the, the no. car crash happening in slow motion. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Steinhoff is another example. Okay, um, I'm not saying senders, there was no fraud involved, uh, but in a similar situation, lots of acquisitions using debt and doing more and more acquisitions to, to cover up overpayments for previous acquisitions. The problem is that small shareholders often get pulled in to the, yeah. the whole situation. And there's a company that was trading at 30 rand a share at one stage. Yeah. Today, you'll have to uh, sell those same shares for 50 cents. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's what happens with these things that are promoted quite heavily. And that's why I think a lot of success in investing comes with not necessarily understanding the numbers better than anybody else, but being able to control your emotions better than anybody else. So when the market is really excited about stuff, maybe step back and try to understand what's going on. Try to understand what is being said and how these messages are being said and ask, why am I being told this now and why is this happening now? And I think uh, if you can ask those questions, come to rational answers and control your emotions, I think you can you can get ahead of the game and you can stay ahead of the game by a furlong or five, to use horse racing terminology, as you would understand, Alex. Of course I would. A furlong is 200 meters. <laughs> Charles Buerta is our colleague uh, who's uh, also deep in the investment markets. Have you looked at Ascenders, Charles? Alec, I haven't looked at it in depth. Uh, there's a, on Twitter, I've been following the conversation. It's called, uh, funny enough, Descenders at the moment. By the Descenders. Mm. Descenders, yes. Uh, so, but it's, like Pete said, it's, it's a recurring story. I saw it with EOH as well, a small yep, cap darling. Exactly the same thing. So it's, uh, but the difficult thing is you don't really know when the, when it's going to turn. And I don't think the small caps you can do shorts. Uh, I don't know if any CFD is available on them. So you just watch the show from the side. And at the moment, I'm not going into ascenders. I, it's too complicated for me. I'll stay on the sidelines. Uh, I want to make money where it's it's simpler to understand. You don't get uh, points for uh, smart or being smart or being you know stupid there's, or whatever. Charles, there's there's no rent. such thing as easy money. Eh? There's no such thing as easy money. <laughs> or easier money, easier money. <laughs> but that's what the Reddit crowd will actually argue that you guys don't know what you're talking about because money is easy to make yeah. now if you watch the uh, on Reddit and you watch the videos and the Twitter and the Wall Street bets I mean it, yeah. what's wrong with you guys why you say there's no more easy money more power to them more power to them more power to them <laughs> Peter if you were looking if you were already a shareholder of Ascendus and, yeah. and my question here I guess is the guys who promoted it in the beginning gary shown and and co what did they do did they stay for the ride or did they see that things were falling apart no uh the interesting thing with situations like this is you'll find the promoters believe their own story as well so uh, you'll find that the guys from uh, uh their company coast to coast i think it was called coast to coast the private equity business that uh, that backed the centers they were leveraged holders of equity in a leveraged business so they effectively got wiped out. I mean, you saw that two or three years ago. There were continuous margin calls against them. There were continuous sellers of shares into the market as the banks were calling in the margin. So yeah, I don't think they've made much money out of this. Uh, and I've heard stories about other promotional businesses where the founders also believed their story and they didn't end up not making money. Uh, but the current shell, the, you know, I, I don't think it matters whether you held the shares from 30 rand to 50 cents where you're buying at 50 cents, what happened is water under the bridge. You've got to look forward from here on out. You can't look at where you came from and what happened in the past. Right here, if, if you listen to this morning's presentation by Mark Sardi, I think shareholders are going to be presented with a consensual transaction between the company and the debt holders who are controlling what's happening here which isn't going to be a fantastic transaction for shareholders, but it will be one they need to accept because the alternative is much worse. The alternative is business rescue, and in business rescue, you're going to get nothing as a shareholder. So I think he's preparing the ground for presenting a deal to shareholders which is not going to look great, but which will leave some value on the table for them. Because I, you know, if you listen to what he was saying, he was also talking about having a holding company eventually and the discount on a holding company. So I think he set up a image himself of eventually he ma him managing a holding company consisting of minority stakes in 
you know, uh, pharmaceutical businesses. That, so that's the picture that was painted. Pete, but you've got good performing businesses within the Ascender stable. You look at Remedica, yeah. you look at Sunwave. Those assets are, are, are worth uh, a few yeah. billion rands. And yes, I understand yeah. that um, current uh, liabilities exceed current assets by five billion rand, which is a huge yeah. sum of money. Um, is there any way you see current shareholders coming out this um, in the green? With difficulty. I think if they get anything out of it, it'll be um, they can count their lucky stars. The thing about the assets are they're good assets, but the debt is running in hard currency terms at 15% per annum. Remember, they've got same kind bonds there that are giving them a yield. The debt holders yield of 15%. The debt holders don't really care. I mean, they've got time is on their side. While you know people are negotiating, things are carrying on, the business are performing well, just well enough to pay the interest on the debt. And so shareholders get nothing in that, uh, in that uh, case, which is what's happening at the moment. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, Mark is going to have to negotiate very carefully with the debt holders. The debt holders are firmly controlled and equity holders, uh, have almost nothing to say here. Uh, they, you know, if they get something out of it, you know, they'll be quite lucky. Mm. So for, even at 50 cents from 30 rand, it's not a place to be putting any money. Well, I don't know. I think that there is optionality here. Um, if you listen to what Mark was saying, he was painting a picture of a possible investment holding company. Uh, and if you do the sums, you can come up with a number in excess of the current share price. But that's, you know, that's a uh, high risk. You're not going to put a lot of money into it. You know, I think if you put, again, if you put together a bundle of call options, um, Senes could be one, Avenge could be another one, Steinhoff could be another one. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stocks like this out there in the JC at the moment. And you put together a bundle of stocks like this, you end up with uh, quite a strong position. You could end up with quite a strong position, even if some of them go to zero, which ascenders can. I mean, it can go to zero. There's, there's no doubt. You also told us at the conference that you like Baldwin properties. Uh, Johnny Rabi from Cape Town, uh, well known as, the, as a, probably the premier developer uh, in the Western Cape, said he wouldn't put his money into Baldwin, uh, <laughs> but you would. Yeah, look, when you talk about, when you, when you think about investors, you're not right because other people agree with you. You're right because, you know, you've done the sums and it adds up. So if you look at Baldwin, um, and I put this out on Twitter the other day, I got a lot of pushback, which is probably a good thing. Uh, it made me think about my investment arguments, so I appreciated all the counter arguments. But if you look at Baldwin today, it's trading below liquidation value. In other words, you walked in there today and you sold all the assets, and you paid off all the liabilities, you'd be left with more than the current market cap. And this is a business which, even on current depressed earnings, is earning a return on equity of about 15%. And this is on depressed earnings. So although it's capital intensive, it earns good returns on the capital. Um, so I think the sums add up. I think what the market doesn't like is, uh, and what I gathered from Twitter, is that they don't like Steve Baldwin. He's a quite a colorful property developer. And he has been known... Uh, you know, uh, it could be said that he has in the past um, sold close to the wind on certain items. Uh, but I also know for a fact that he's got a strong board around him now that he's listed and he's got good people on the board and he's got good financial people underneath him. Um, so I think he's got a solid set up there, which counters that argument. But, you know, the market doesn't like colorful entrepreneurs. The market likes corporate speak. They want somebody to stand up there in a suit and a tie and deliver you know, the Goldman Sachs language uh, type presentation. Uh, and that's not what Steve Ballman does. Uh, and the market doesn't like that. And But, you know, the numbers don't lie. We spoke to uh, Christoph Issa last week, and he said that if the CEO, the one thing he's learned from Steinhoff is that if the CEO is up to tricks, doesn't matter who you've got around him, you're not going to know because he can get those tricks uh, yeah. in, in a way that... It, you won't understand it. Is this not the message that some people are saying? If you've got a person who has sailed close to the wind in the past, it does wave quite a few flags, even though, and as he said, as Christo said, it, at Steinhoff, they had three doctors of accounting who were on the audit committee, and they couldn't stop Marcus Yuster. Look, uh, you know, when you invest in property development, you're investing with people who do property development, and that is a colorful bunch of people, you know, and it's not only Steve, there's a, you know, it's a colorful grouping of people 
who um, who do things in a certain way. Uh, so I think one needs to understand that. And yes, you're right. Uh, I don't think a tiger changes his stripes. A leopard doesn't change his spots. So once again, the numbers stack up here. You can see the value. However, there is that risk of a wildcat uh, event happening. Uh, so again, uh, it's not something you put all your money in. Uh, you put it into portfolio and you watch that portfolio closely. Uh, and that's why the deal with that risk. Um, you, uh, yeah, um, I think if you wait for businesses that are run by the best people uh, and with the best business models and the best outlook and everybody agrees that things are fine, those stocks are not available at below liquidation value. Pete, you also gave us some pause on NASPAS at the investment conference, and Jackie Cameron, our editor at large, today spoke to Professor Karachi from the University of Nottingham on all the funny business that's going on in China to do with the regulators. Let's listen in on their conversation. Here's Jackie's report. China's tech giants are coming under increasing pressure from regulators worried about their growing influence. China's State Administration for Market Regulation said earlier this month that it had fined 12 companies over 10 deals that violated anti-monopoly rules. The companies included Tencent, which underpins South African large-cap Naspers. According to Chinese state broadcaster CCTV, China's President Xi Jinping has ordered regulators to step up their oversight of Internet companies, crack down on monopolies and promote fair competition. What's behind these developments and what are the consequences for investors with exposure to Chinese tech stocks? Helping me, Jackie Cameron of BizNews, make sense of developments for the BizNews community is a China financial markets and economy expert, Professor Michele Geraci, a China expert with the University of Nottingham. Uh, what is happening is that uh, China is uh, trying to balance uh, uh, the line that separates uh, the role of the government and the role of the market. And these lines uh, tend to move in one direction or another one as uh, certain industries uh, develop uh, uh, and find uh, bigger space. And they, of course, uh, at some point, uh, uh, they either cross that line or they get very close. And this is the time where uh, government and company need to, in a way, reassess their own respective role. And specifically in the case of Internet companies that have grown very fast in China, uh, they have not only pushed the line of the scope of the influence, uh, but they've done it also very, very fast. And so this has uh, been a, a very, let's say, dynamic development that has required the government to intervene to reset those boundaries. International investors are quite concerned about what the Chinese government is doing. The Chinese government does things in a different way, and that may be a challenge. But the positive thing is that they tell us what they're going to do. They have a five-year plan, which has just come out a few days ago, that basically highlights the areas where the government wants the economy to develop. And so it does give us guidelines. It's a little bit like when in Meso look at corporate management annual report. Normally in the annual report, the company sets the strategy for the future with the areas they want to invest, the budget, the marketing activities, and so on. And that's exactly what the Chinese government releases. It's almost an annual report with the results of the previous year and a plan for the next year and even long, medium to long-term plan, 5, 10, 15 years. So for the internet sectors, they will develop uh, more. Uh, already the digital economy is about 35% of uh, the overall uh, GDP. It's growing at uh, a double uh, digit. Uh, there will be new uh, 5G and artificial intelligence, both on the software and on the hardware. There will be a big push in the semiconductor industry, so we're going deeper into the development of those technology sectors. It's not just mobile phones, it's not just app, but it is also down to the actual making of those things, of the microchips, and even further down to the elements that make up those chips. So. Uh, so silicon is available, but gallium, arsenic, and other what we call it rare earth 
not just for the technology per se, but also for the green, which is the second pillar of the uh, plan. So the Chinese economy is going to develop along those two lines, uh, green and uh, digital. There seems to be a perception that maybe these companies are being targeted by politicians. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I don't think the origin of the, let's say, dispute is because the government wants to target. The origin is because those companies, maybe out of enthusiasm, jumped into where maybe they should have not. You've been listening to Professor Michele Garacci, a China expert with the University of Nottingham. For the full interview, do go to the Business Radio podcasts, which are available on all the major podcast channels, including Spotify and iTunes. And it's a really good interview that on a subject, Pitfulun, that we're all concerned about at the moment, given Naspers's huge waiting, Naspers and Process's huge waiting on the JSE and in retirement funds here in South Africa, the, the Chinese authorities are targeting the capitalists in that country. It's, uh, you're seeing how Jack Ma has been treated. And yeah. they, it's not long ago that they arrested a senior official of Tencent and he seems to have kind of disappeared. Nobody, nobody's been able to catch him or find out where he is. And we forget this, that in China, it's a different world there. If we were having this program uh, from anywhere in China, we would have standing right next to us a sensor. In fact, and it would probably be delayed by 20 minutes because they have to be sure that you aren't putting out anti-state propaganda. Uh, our anti-state activism, whatever you want to call it. But just as far as NASPERS is concerned and the uh, exposure and the risk that it holds, given what's going on in China with the authorities and the bureaucrats and the regulators, etc., from what we've just heard a moment ago, should, we, should this give us all pause? Look, I'm no Chinese expert, so I I do know I generally don't trust governments, and the Chinese government is a very strong government, so I trust them even less than some other governments. Um, so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, Tencent is a fantastic business. It's one of the best, if not the best, business in the world at this point in time. So you have these two facts. You have a great business domiciled in a country where the government is overbearing and controlling and can make arbitrary decisions based on policy and not on economics. So you've got that sort of risk against the backdrop of a great company. Uh, and right now, the way the share is priced in the market, there's no margin of safety for the risk that you have. And, and that's my whole argument. I'm not saying it's a bad company. I'm saying it could potentially be a bad investment because of uncompensated risk sitting there. We spoke about Bowen. Bowen, the risk is clear. We've got a CEO who I happen to like. Uh, I think he's a good property developer, but he's seen as a maverick, and that's a risk for the business. Um, but that risk is in the price. You're being compensated for that risk. I think in the case of Tencent, um, you might not be compensated for the uh, extent of the risk that exists. Mm. Well, we've also got with us this evening Lissetti Mfolo of Easy Equities, and we asked Lissetti to come onto the program to take us through what happened in the first quarter. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it, Justin? I mean, here we are. It feels like it was just the other day it was New Year's Eve. Now we're three months into it. Crazy, Alec. Three months later, JSC up 10%. Hell, I would hate to know what the counterpoint value fund's up in three months. Peter. More than, more than that. <laughs> <laughs> nice to hear. Nice to hear. Listen, you guys at Easy Equities have got hundreds of thousands of people who have accounts. What are they buying? What, are the, what did they buy in this first quarter? And uh, were they on the right stocks? Uh, how's it everyone uh, thank you so much for letting me join you guys this evening uh, it's a complete honor um, and I mean like you mentioned we've got thousands and hundreds of um, uh, investors on our platform and what we saw them move towards in terms of the equity uh, sector um, was that uh, most of the investors were looking at the number one which was Sasol and I'm not surprised to see Sasol there um, after some we, we saw some rallying of the stock price after some um, oil price we uh, boost in the oil price as well as the weakening dollar and also uh, the recent developments in the price with regards to investors seeing it as a favorable investment so we saw Sasol peaking there at number one and um, then at number two we saw um, 
Sibanya Stillwater, which is no shock to me because I know a lot of the investors on the Easy Equities platform are dividend eaters. We love dividends, and I'm one of them myself. So any company that with a stable performance and a solid solid uh, dividend uh, return is always great, you know. So I'm not surprised to see Sibanya there at second. And then a shock to me was Steinhoff, honestly, because I've always believed Steinhoff, it will always end in tears. Um, but it's, it's there at number three with the really good performance of uh, 111%, I think, just at before the market closed today. And I think it's maybe because people have identified uh, Steinhoff as the next game stock. We don't know. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wait and see what happens. Is it, um, is it yeah. on Reddit? Have we got a South African Reddit where the guys are punting around with Steinhoff? Was it coming from Reddit US? <laughs> I think South Africa is jumping onto the Reddit uh, bandwagon. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to see the outcome of that. It would be very interesting to see as retail investors. Mm-hmm. So that's and your... Then, mm. Carry yeah, on. And then at, at number four, we've got, um, you know, we've got Naspis. And it's not a shock. We've another stable company with great performance and always giving nice dividends to investors. And like I mentioned, investors at Easy Equities love 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 dividends and yeah i think like you guys mentioned about the 10 cent news um i think the share price is basically reacting to those news and that's why we see it there in the top five and then obviously a personal favorite of mine which i can't talk about is purple group um yeah purple group one of the top five purchases from the easy equities clients that's pretty good going Uh, you guys must be getting your story out at least to them yeah, we're trying here, Alec. We're trying. We're trying to make sure that we democratize this investment landscape. Uh, Pete, just uh, quickly, isn't isn't it nice that retail investors can invest in Naspers? They can yeah. put a hundred bucks and then get a percentage of it, and that's a that's a massive innovation that we've seen from Easy. I think that's fantastic. I listened to Charles's presentation at your conference. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and I think he makes a very good point. Uh, you know, uh, I think finance has been made artificially difficult by institutions to put them in a position to act as gatekeepers and to control the flow of funds in and out, whereas I think if you democratize things and you make it easier for people to access, you know, by and large, people are not stupid. Uh, they, on average, will do the right thing. So I think it's fantastic that one democratizes these things and take away the institution's ability to act as gatekeepers in themselves and obviously charge their toll fee on top of that. Lissetti, just coming back to your clients and what they've been buying, you've got a very active US platform as well. Can you give us some insight into the most popular shares there? Uh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, we do. And I'm sure it comes to no surprise with Tesla being number one. Um, we know the, um, the CEO is all over the... I take, I take back what I... <laughs> I think it's too late for that, Pete. <laughs> but yeah, we saw Tesla coming number one in the last quarter. Um, and it's, you know, people are eating it up, you know, with... Elon Musk talking about Bitcoin and he's basically the trendsetter of a lot of things in the world. So I'm not surprised to see it there. A lot of people back him. Um, so I think they would back Tesla as well as a company. And then we've got Neo, which is, um, the, the Chinese, uh, EV market, uh, the, the maker, which attracted a lot of traction over the past, um, quarter and it's a competitor to Tesla and it's going to be an interesting one to see and I think the 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 investor community is loving that as well um, while they're eating up the, the stock and then we got uh, Trillery which is coming third which gained a lot of attention at the start of the quarter after the company posted a solid financial results um, and we're seeing that in the, in the price of the share right now and then fourth is Obviously, the the cult people, which is the Apple users, um, and it's Apple, um, which continues to impress and grow, and it's just one of those stocks that people really love. I'm a Apple shareholder myself. I'm an Apple user myself, so it's uh, by the stocks that you love, I guess. Um, and yeah, that's that would be our top four in terms of our Easy Equities USD account. And just to close off with, in Australia, have you got much traction there yet? Um, we've, we've had quite a bit of traction in Australia, you know, we're finding our feet and we're seeing a lot of, 
um, users actually invest in uh, the Australian instruments that we have on the platform. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's doing pretty well, I must say. Um, Can you give us yeah, any of the favorites there? I, I'm particularly interested if Zero has actually been bought because that's one in our business portfolio. Okay, um, I definitely can give that to you. And I think Zero is it. I think Zero is the number one bought stock in Australia. And I think just over a thousand users ha- hold uh, Zero. Wow. And then we've got and then we've got Core Lithium, which is in second place. And um, in third place, we've got Zipco. And fourth place, we've got Afterpay, which is which is one of my favorite stocks in my US my AUD account. And then lastly, we got BHP uh, Billiton, uh, uh, rounding up our top five. The city, great stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks for for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thank you so much, guys. Well, while we're talking about interesting issues, we've got some very interesting news that came through today. You might remember last week we had in studio Warren Wheatley and Sean Emery from Kisby, the SME fund. And uh, Warren is actually joining us now with some very good news, Warren. It, when we spoke last week, there was, a, a, there was evidence that we were seeing Kisby or the, the SME funds starting to get acceptance in, in amongst institutional investors. Uh, and we actually spoke about Riscura. Now, Riscura have looked at the Kisby Fund itself and have come to some interesting conclusions. Hi, Alec. Uh, thanks for having me again. Mm, they, talk to us, Warren. What's the, uh, what's the um, news oh, out of you guys today? You're sorry, on was, air, that, yeah. was, that, was that my cue? That was my uh, intro. So we, we, we received <laughs> fantastic news today. We received a, a, a very short but sweet letter, um, which, which really uh, said the following. Um, and they confirmed that they had uh, concluded their due diligence of the Kisby Fund. Um, and I can attest that our systems, our legal teams, our legal processes, our credit scoring mechanisms were thoroughly tested by the Rescura team. Um, we got confirmation that those... Um, those, those systems and processes passed their tests and we've, they've decided to include us in fact in the impact fund of funds, which will be launching uh, in the next couple of days. So as a team, um, who've been on the road trying to raise capital for, for the last nine months, this is an incredible endorsement to, to have received. Oscura, I, I think if not the first, if not second or first, they are certainly one of the asset managed or asset consultants in the country with the highest assets under advisement. Um, and so we're thrilled to have received this endorsement from them and, and look forward to, to being a part of their spectacular endeavor. Now so we're hmm. really grateful. So what it means then, if I understand, is that Kisby has made, uh, has actually made the grade as far as a due diligence is concerned by an institutional or a, an organization that advises institutional investors on this impact investing and, and one step closer to small and medium enterprises in South Africa, which need capital, uh, after the COVID lockdowns are getting that opportunity. Yes, absolutely. So Kisby, uh, the, the, the short answer is that Kisby will form one of the underlying managers. And each time um, a client or an institution awards a, a mandate to Kisby, to, to Rescura, um, a portion of that mandate will be allocated to Kisby to manage on their behalf. Um, they've also started introductions to their client base on the segregated mandate. So we were quite pleased that an institution, the size and with the influence and um, thoroughness of Rescura was is, is able to endorse us and is actually doing um, live referrals to their client base in addition to us being part of the, the fund of funds. Okay. And we're going to let you get back to your babysitting now because it sounds like you've got <laughs> <laughs> your hands there. Warren, good, uh, the good. joys the joys of COVID. Thanks uh, so much for your time, Alex. And, and you. Uh, all right, thank you.
Yeah. Warren Wheatley is uh, director of Kisby. I don't, I don't think I've had someone quite that young on radio with me before, but it's, it's, it makes a change. It did sound like the baby was rejoicing in today's news for Warren. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, we have got Grant back uh, with us. He is the head of the South African Airways Pilots Association. Grant, good to see you, man. I see you've, you've grown a, a, a beard now uh, through, through lockdown. Through, when last were you, were you flying a plane? Hi, Alec, and uh, hello to the listeners and everyone else on the panel. Good to be here. Uh, I landed back in Johannesburg from a Munich flight on the 28th of February, uh, and I actually did that flight uh, with my son, uh, not knowing it would be my last flight. Uh, so it was uh, at least a special, uh, special one that's in the memory and certainly a special moment. Um, and, yeah, so it's been over a year, Alec, and... Uh, a lot of guys, pretty much, as you know, ended their careers at SAA um, in March, and there's been very little flying since then. Have you been paid over the last year? No, I think we haven't. Um, so it's coming up now a year that uh, pilots haven't received pay. There obviously were those uh, initial flights that were those cargo flights uh, prior to, uh, well, actually when the lockdown took place. Um, I think it was about April, May, there were a couple so those pilots, obviously, that did those flights received a bit of money. But the vast majority haven't earned a salary for a year. Uh, and this is all the while uh, other employees uh, have either been paid the voluntary severance packages and alternatively other uh, employees have actually got three months back pay and now another this month, another four months. So that's seven months. Um, we're currently locked out. We have been since the 18th of uh, December. Um, ironically, we've agreed to cancel our agreement. Uh, and really the lockout is more about the fact that how they want to retrench us uh, as opposed to us giving up this onerous evergreen uh, agreement that's uh, been painted as the, uh, the, 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 the real reason that SAA has failed, um, which, is, which is laughable if you think about the billions uh, that have uh, misappropriated over the years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very tragic if one reads through the court papers uh, of the Dudum Yeni a debacle yeah. and, and how SAA, well, I suppose it was always going to be a challenge with COVID, but at least you would have gone into COVID as a healthy organization if it wasn't for uh, her wanting all those brown envelopes. And that's what the judge says. It's not something that we're just yeah. simply making up here. Has it been worth the fight? Well, um, it's been a long fight. I mean, I've been in the airline for 26 years. I've uh, been in the union for 18, and I uh, somehow landed up in the chair position for the last two and a half years. It was supposed to be a two-year term. Uh, certainly got the hot seat. Um, been, it's been very difficult um, for my executive, in particular my business rescue team that I'm working with. Uh, there's about five of us. And, uh, and of course, it's also been taxing on, uh, on myself and, 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 of course, our family. Uh, it, it permeates every aspect of our life. Um, you know, since lockdown in particular, um, you know, my days are spent sitting out in Zoom meetings. I've just come out of a two-and-a-half-hour meeting now with the business rescue practitioners. Uh, as you know, we, um, we, we are going on strike, taking industrial action uh, from tomorrow. Um, we had hoped that uh, we could discuss um, our demands, which, again, I'm not sure if you've seen them in the press, uh, but pretty much it, it, it lends itself to us demanding to be retrenched and us demanding to cancel our agreement. Um, I don't think this has ever happened before. Um, you know, it's unprecedented. Demanding uh, so, to be retrenched. Uh, that's <laughs> that's got to be yeah. absolutely a world first. Let, 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 let us go. Please just let us go. Why? Uh, pay us what you owe us and, uh, ah. and let us go. Well, this is just... Uh, that's the point. You know, at the end of the day, we, we know that the company is, is severely downsized. Other people have been paid. Uh, other people have been retrenched. Um, and even in a voluntary severance package, uh, which really is the BCEA minimum, which is the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, with a sweetener. That, that is what a VSP is all about, voluntary severance package. Well, the pilots didn't get one iota of a sweetener because we're way overpaid, uh, and according to the, uh, the DPE. Uh, and other people, uh, and, and, and good for them, uh, in the airline were paid up to eight months uh, extra salary. So, you know, right now, the writing's on the wall. People are desperate. Uh, we've got to get people paid. So we're demanding it. Uh, retrench us. Mm. and pay us what, what you owe us. And uh, we're not going to sign a full and final settlement. 
Um, if we have, we want to retain our, our rights, then so be it. Um, but let's get on with it. And if you want SAA version 2.0 to take off, then get down to it and, and, and stop messing us all around. We've got 360 pilots that need to get on with their lives. And those 360 pilots, how have they been making do? Uh, I, I, well, I think no a lot income. of people have had to really, really dig deep and uh, they've come up with entrepreneurial ideas. Uh, we've got a lot of WhatsApp chat groups. People are trying to help each other. Uh, we do actually have um, some of our members that didn't take the voluntary severance package have really come on hard times having to sell houses, sell cars, uh, you know, and, and a lot of our pilots were taking care of parents, sick, uh, sick children, uh, you know, like, like anybody in life. We know, we're no different to anybody else. Uh, so you've got huge uh, liabilities going forward. And plus, we are well paid. Imagine just turning off that tap. Uh, you've kind of built your life around, you know, what you earn. Um, and we've actually, in the last two days, um, because we saw people and how desperate they were, were willing to resign from the company, which would then obviously um, remove them from any type of severance pay. Uh, but they were willing to do this just so they could get access to their pension funds. Um, but we stepped in. Uh, I put out a call. Uh, to all our current and past members uh, in the union uh, to make available funds on a loan basis, which would incur minimal interest. I mean, the minimum, I think, is like 4.5%, just so that you can give the guys some kind of bridging finance to keep them going uh, until such time as we reach a settlement, which we hope we are very close to doing. Grant, just stay with us, if you would. Uh, we've got Leon Lowe from the Free Market Foundation joining us now. Leon, can you hear me loud and clear? I hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? Yeah, you, you, you're great. Grant Beck is the head of the South African Airlines SAA Pilots Association. And in a funny way, uh, what you have been calling for, for SAA not to continue, uh, is something that he's now calling for and asking for the pilots to be retrenched. Uh, that's got to be a world first, Leon. Well, uh, firstly, I know Grant well, and I like to think of him as a friend. I hope it's mutual, as I do you, Alec, and and to the listeners. Uh, great to be with you. Uh, yes, uh, the 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 we have tried hard. We were very very keen to save uh, four thousand seven hundred jobs and their families, as was uh, Riani Jurana, Chukana, which is the correct way to pronounce it and with whom uh, the, the unions, including, as far as I know, the Pilots Association, uh, had a, a good relationship, and other airline industries, leaders in the private sector, uh, had a very high regard for him and did believe that he could and wanted him to rescue SAA, and as did Grant. And, and Grant and his colleagues made very constructive proposals. They they were always on the ball and just not listened to, and it's very, very tragic. My heart really goes out as he was speaking. And, you know, it sounds to the average listener as if he's speaking from a position of self-interest. But try and understand people whose livelihood, who've got a good life, the pilots, and the people who've got a more modest life, the rest of the workers, uh, just being placed in this position of, Suspended animation, not knowing what the future holds, uh, having payment stopped. Uh, I mean, it's tragic. It is a human tragedy of a kind that is completely unforgivable. Grant, how long do you train to become a pilot? I, I guess it's all very well to say, yeah, these guys are well paid. But first of all, when I get onto an aeroplane, that goes to Cape Town or somewhere else in the world, I want to be sure that the guy behind the controls or the team behind the controls know what they're doing. And presumably that takes a little while to, to get to that point. Absolutely. It's a stepping stone. So, you know, most pilots uh, have got two avenues they can explore. One would be through um, going to the military, uh, be it in South Africa or, um, or abroad. Uh, or, and alternatively, I suppose, there is a third measure, and that is to go to a specific training school. So like, for example, Lufthansa has got a pilot training school. And then the alternative to that, of course, is going to the private sector. So you could, um, you know, I went to ECT, I started flying when I was there. Uh, and you would kind of go the, the long slog of, of, of going, getting your private pilot license, getting your, your night rating, your instrument rating, your commercial license, your instructor's rating. And then, of course, you're building up the, um, so the, 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 the hours that you require to get yourself into a small airline, let alone a, a you know, major airline like South African Airways. 
So it's a long slog, and I mean, I can tell you, it, it takes most people about 10 years to, to, to get there, and a lot of money, of course, to get there as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it's funny how people are so quick to point out, and certainly, you know, it seems it, it, it's kind of like a, a topic of discussion that pilots are bus drivers and, you know, why they're paid so much. But, you know, I'd love to see how everyone feels when you're flying in a thunderstorm in Joburg or bad weather. Uh, I don't think you're going to pay your pilot enough to get you safely on the ground. Uh, or would things go wrong for that matter? So, you know, no other career out there or profession that I know of uh, tests you twice a year for your proficiency. So you've got to get in the simulator, you've got two days of four hours each, and you are hit with many different emergencies to make sure that you maintain this level of proficiency. If you don't, guess what? You get taken off, you get retrained, and if you still don't make the grade, you could be out of your job and you get washed. And that's happened to many pilots. ISA and around the world. Grant, as somebody who's done the brace position for real, uh, I can tell you that I was so delighted uh, that the the pilot was well trained. He was he was amazing. And uh, at some point, you do think that that's the end. It's tickets uh, when you see the, um, the, the the fire engines and the foam on the runways, etc. But uh, he, this guy, was extremely well trained. As uh, as we want all our pilots to be, bus drivers mm, not so not so much. Pitfulian, I know you have lots of interest in this subject, both from using aeroplanes a great deal and yeah. from being an investor. <clears throat> What's your view on where South African Airways is ending up, and and what Grant and his team actually should be doing? Look, uh, I think it's very sad. It's 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 only the sort of thing can be brought about by governments. As I said earlier, I don't trust governments. And this is normally the sort of thing that happens when governments get involved and you have delinquent directors involved uh, with what goes on there. Uh, so it's very sad. Uh, you know, it's not an outcome would, one would wish for anyone. As for advice, I have no advice. I, I, I would not want to put myself in a position to give advice. I think it's an intractable uh, situation that the pilots and other staff members at SA find themselves in. It's a situation not of their own making. Uh, it's something that was forced upon them. Um, and I can only wish them the best of luck in, in, in their endeavors to, to get what, what they deserve at, at a minimum. Leon Lowe, you did an interesting bit uh, with Fuyani Jarana, who you mentioned earlier, who sadly was no, was, wasn't really given the opportunity that he should, he deserved, certainly in your opinion, uh, to, uh, to fix SAA. Uh, tell us about that bet and the outcome. Yes. Firstly, uh, I'm not sure if the Pilots Association and the unions and others always appreciated this, but every time there was an announcement of a so-called bailout or guarantee, uh, that what people didn't get and understand, they kept thinking it was a turnaround strategy would make SAA viable, and they're doing it now too with this current talk of another ten and a half billion. The, the government's agreed to give uh, three point seven point three. What people don't get is that was merely enough to service existing debt. In other words, pay the employees, pay the lease agreements pay the pilots, there was never any amount, never has there been an amount that could be called recapitalization or operating expenses that could have potentially made SAA viable. Now, Vriani Jurana, a wonderful and you know very successful businessman and somebody for whom we have the highest regard, uh, he believed that he could turn SAA around and make it profitable, and he specified to government what sort of support that would require. And uh, he didn't get it. And he he then resigned. And uh, we, when he said that he would turn it around, I guess we were thinking about the political reality more than he was. He was thinking as a businessman uh, with a funder, a shareholder. And uh, we he said that it would be profitable by today, uh, the end of March, and we said no, we, because we didn't think that he would ever get what he was promised. He would never get what was required, and he didn't. And as soon as he saw that 21 months or whatever ago, he resigned and uh, has nothing more to say about it. He, he just thinks he was shafted, basically. SAA was shafted. And I must say that he, as a human being, his biggest passion and concern was the employees, 
uh, including Grant and his colleagues. And, and Vianney just feels uh, moved by how these people have been cheated and lied to and, and, and shafted, uh, as I do. And I think that what we need to understand is that Vianney, to his credit, he wasn't there, so he wasn't responsible. He, he never got the support he expected or was promised and therefore resigned. And he still honours the wager. In other words, he's honouring a wager for when he was in no position to perform. And uh, that is fantastic. He's, he's, you know, that means a great deal of tribute. And what is contributing the wager to 100,000 rand is, a, is probably the most fantastic project in the country, which is getting title deeds for black South Africans in what we wrongly call townships, you know, locations, settlements, whatever. Uh, and, and he's decided to sponsor uh, those and to encourage other people to do, and he will personally be there to hand them out to the new people who he has turned into homeowners. I think that's fantastic. It's moving. It's emotional. It's wonderful. It's transformative. And he is really, Grant, uh, you know, when I've spoken to him in the last few days, his heart really goes out to you and your colleagues. So you, something something good has come out of a, a, a really awful situation throughout. Grant, uh, best of luck, I suppose, is, is what everybody is wishing you. Uh, is it likely that with the vaccines now coming on, uh, that those 300-odd, 360 pilots at SAA will be able to get jobs elsewhere in the world? Surely the economy is going to get back to normal someday. Um. It's a good question, Alex. And before I forget, I just want to say hi, Leon, as well. I, I know you said hello, and I just didn't come back to you on that. So, yeah, I might hear your voice. Um, but, Alex, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I think many of the pilots, uh, and let's just not look at SAA alone or South Africa alone, let's look globally, globally. I mean, I think if you consider the pilots that we employed a year ago, I think it's 50% of all pilots are now unemployed. Um, you know, certain sectors are going to recover faster than others. I mean, I get uh, many messages from people around the world there's a bit of an uptick, say, in the States or in, you know, in the East, but uh, not so much in Europe and not so much in Africa. Uh, and, of course, you know, you're kind of restricted to the zone that you've got a license in and the right to work. So, you know, you might have a European passport and you're lucky enough to work there or a green card, but then you've got to get an FAA license, you've got to get an EASA license. Uh, you know, that takes a lot of work and a lot of money. Um, so I think, you know, here in South Africa, I think the market's um, struggling. Um, you know, speaking to uh, the likes of Roger Foster, I know that, uh, that they really have uh, tried to, you know, capture a lot of the market, and uh, I think that he's doing a great job um, in what he's doing and expanding into Africa and, and within the domestic market. But it's difficult. I think yields are down. If you look at uh, ticket prices, um, you know, they've come down significantly, and uh, I think it's going to be some time before uh, pilots are going to be able to uh, get back in the air, let alone at the levels of remuneration that we're getting previously. I think a lot of airlines have capitalized uh, on the current situation and negotiated down with unions to say, listen, guys, you know, we're happy to keep you on, but uh, here's the caveat. You know, we're going to lower your salaries for a period of one, two, three, or four years. Um, so until demand picks up, unfortunately, um, guys are going to have to find other things to do. Um, you know, take a sabbatical, go do something else that you can afford to, build another business up. Um, but I think if you're hanging on there, waiting for the uh, inevitable well, the, the, the phone call of a possible job offer, you, you might be waiting for some time. Grant Beck is the head of the South African Airways Pilot Association. You also heard from Leon Lowe of the Free Market Foundation. Uh, our guest market commentator co-host tonight was Pit Fulyun from CounterPoint. And uh, before we go, Justin, will you just bring us up to date with the markets? The JSE All Share Index closed low at 66,500. Although it was a great quarter with the index up nearly 10%. More reds than greens today with APSA falling 6 rand to 125 rand a share. Food retailer pick and pay down 2.5 rand a share to 54 rand. Rainnet down 14 rand to 292 rand a share. And Steinoff bucking the trend up 3.5% to 2 rand 34 cents. In the currency markets, the rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 76 cents to the dollar. 20 rand 35 cents to the pound and 17 rand 36 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,700 an ounce. Brent crude is low at $64 a barrel. 
and Bitcoin is trading at 865,000 Rand per coin. And I'm having a look at WSJ Markets. Uh, our partner is at the Wall Street Journal, and they tell us that the NASDAQ Composite Index is up nearly 2% as we speak. Uh, the Dow is flat, and the S&P 500 up about three quarters of a percent. Well, thanks for being with us tonight on the Biz News Power Hour. We're on air every weeknight from 5.30 p.m. South African time. You can pick up a recording of the show and the full podcast referenced here on the Biz News Radio channel. That's on Spotify and iTunes. We live stream worldwide and broadcast free to air, of course, on FMR in Cape Town. I'm Alec Hogan on behalf of the Biz News team. Until tomorrow at 5.30, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.